Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And if you recall, Paul is writing uh, this letter to be an encouragement to the saints in Philippi. This is not a letter of admonition, though there are uh, times when he gives some admonishments in it. This is not a letter of rebuke, though there are some points in which the Philippian church was to be corrected. No, this is a letter of encouragement and joy. In our text this morning, Paul is encouraging these saints to find, joy, find their joy in Christ no matter the circumstance. So hear now the word of our Lord from Philippians chapter 1, and I will be reading verses 19 through 26. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Thus far the reading of God's Word, let us ask His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we come to You. Having heard this Word read, and we ask, Lord, that Your blessing would be upon the reading of it. Lord, that our ears would be open to rightly hear it. That we would hear it with a ready heart, with a ready and open ear. And Lord, as we uh, now approach the preaching of this Word, we ask that it would be received as such the very Word of God. We ask that Your blessing would be upon the preaching of this Word. We ask Your blessing would be upon the preacher that the preaching would not be in the wisdom and enticing words of man, but would be in the power 
of the Spirit of Christ. Lord, we ask that uh, Your Word would go forth. We trust that it will go forth and that it will never return void. And so, Lord, we ask that as it goes forth, that it would be made effectual in our hearts, in our lives, so that lives would be transformed, Christians would be strengthened, and that sinners would be saved. So Lord, bless our time in this Word together this morning. Let Your Spirit speak through Your minister today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Here in our text this morning, we come to one of the most familiar verses, not only within the letter of Philippians, but in the entire Bible. Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, we oftentimes use this verse as some sort of mantra, as a maxim for the Christian life. And it's true, this is a maxim for the Christian life. Every one of us ought to be able to say with the Apostle, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we consider the context in which Paul speaks these words, we begin to gain a greater appreciation for them. Remember that Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. Feet fast in stocks, unsure whether or not he will be freed to resume the ministry which he holds so dear. And yet these are the words that are on his lips. He's not concerned with whether or not he will have a meal that day. He's not concerned with whether or not he will be released from his bonds. Yes, there is a desire to be freed in order that he may uh, be of further use in the advancement of the gospel throughout the region. But his chief desire, his chief concern is that Christ be magnified. Is that your chief desire, dear friends? If you were thrown into a dark, cramped prison cell with barely enough food to be able to survive, would the cares and the pleasures of this world be what's on your mind? Or would it be the glory of your Savior? If it's not your chief desire here and now in a time and place in which you have been afforded every freedom to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to magnify His name in all places, then what makes you think that it will be your chief desire when the going gets tough? When we face true adversity or even real 
persecution. And if it is your chief desire that Christ would be magnified, and I trust that it is, are you so reliant upon the Spirit of the Lord? Are you so content in your union with Christ that His name being magnified will continue to be your chief concern if you find yourselves in, the bond, in bonds for the sake of the Gospel? We often declare for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but we rarely contemplate what that actually means. We rarely meditate on what it means that Christ would be magnified. And so the exhortation to you this morning is magnify Christ, whether by life or by death. And we'll consider this exhortation by looking at three statements made by the Apostle in our passage. First, to live is Christ. Next, to die is gain. And then lastly, abide and continue. So first, let us consider how we are to magnify Christ by looking at the Apostle's statement, to live is Christ. Paul understood that if he lived, he lived to know more of Christ studying His person and learning by His experience so that He increased in His knowledge of His Lord and Savior. When Paul says to live is Christ, he's speaking of his desire to know Christ more. To imitate Christ more. To preach Christ more. To enjoy Christ more. To live is Christ means that there is an earnest desire to have more and more intimacy in your union with Christ. Brothers and sisters, this must be your desire as well. You must have what the Puritans of old referred to as an experimental religion. An experimental faith. Your faith in Christ Jesus must be something which tests your heart. Which performs an experiment on your soul. Something which is experienced in a true way. And this is something that only the Spirit can bring about in the believer. Paul understood this. Look with me at verses 19 and 20 of our passage. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, 
whether it be by life or by death. It is by the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this can be brought about. But it's not only that. The Spirit of Christ utilizes the instrument of the prayers of the saints in order to bring this about as well. Calvin says that it is the supply of the Spirit is the efficient cause, while prayer is a subordinate help. Friends, are you praying that the Spirit would bring about a greater experience of Christ in your own lives? Are you praying that He would bring about this greater experience of Christ in the lives of your brothers and sisters among you? Jehovah has seen fit to use the prayers of the saints as a means of strengthening that vital relation that believers have with their risen Savior. Utilize those means. Take part in the corporate prayer meeting that we have every Wednesday evening and use that as an opportunity to pray that the faith that we confess would be made more and more real each and every day. Go into your private prayer closet as we saw in our New Testament reading. Go into your private prayer closet. Go in secret and cry out to the Lord to cause you to experience Christ in a far greater way. And then, go and live out that faith that you confess. Go and live out that religion which you claim as your own. This is how Christ is magnified in your life. Not by mere idleness in the things of the Lord, but in an active obedience to His precepts which are found in the Scripture alone. Live in obedience to the law of God. If you are in Christ, then you have been sanctified and set apart for a holy purpose. And that holiness ought to be made evident in your lives. When a child of God is enabled to act up to his profession, he shows to all around him the beauty of holiness. He commends to them the law which He obeys. He constrains them to see and acknowledge the transcendent excellence of it. And in advancing thus the honor of the law, He honors also the lawgiver. That is what we mean by magnifying Christ. I want you to think for a moment of that term magnifying Christ. Many of you may have in your mind this image of a magnifying glass. And you all know what that is. It's an instrument that's used 
to make something which is small appear to be larger than what it is. And friends, if this is what you are thinking of when you think uh, of magnifying Christ, then you have an errant notion of what that phrase means. To magnify Christ isn't to make Him appear bigger than He actually is, but instead to show the world how big He truly is. All of your labors... All of your actions ought to be with the express purpose of proclaiming to this world which is lost and dead in sin how great our Savior is. Display to the world that change which, is, which the Spirit has wrought in you. Charles Simeon writes, Who then that witnesses this change and beholds the believer's victories over sin and Satan and his progressive advancement in the ways of holiness must not adore that power by which so great a miracle is wrought. In this, Christ is indeed magnified. The exceeding greatness of His power is made known and the sufficiency of His grace is incontrovertibly established. Friends, we should yield all our members' instruments of righteousness unto God. We should consider our eyes, our ears, our hands, our powers, our minds, our entire beings as consecrated to Him and to be used for Him those who truly desire that Christ would be magnified, desire that He uh, be magnified in their body, as Paul says. They present their bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12 and verse 1. They yield their members as instruments of righteousness unto God, Romans 16 and verse, Romans 6 and verse 13. They are willing to serve His designs and be instrumental to His glory with every member of their body as well as every faculty of their soul. The glory of Christ ought to be the end of our life. The grace of Christ ought to be the principle of our life. The Word of Christ ought to be the rule of our life. The Christian life is derived from Christ and it is directed to Christ. He is the principal rule and end of it. You must understand this. You must live this. And in understanding this, you too can say with the Apostle, for me to live is Christ. And so let us now move to consider how we are to magnify Christ by looking at the Apostle's statement, to die is gain. And this is a foreign concept to most people in this world. 
Self-preservation is taught is touted by many as the ultimate good, as that thing which we must strive after. And yes, self-preservation is a good thing. In fact, self-preservation is one of the duties required in the sixth commandment. But we must not misconstrue Paul's words as though he's saying he has a death wish. This is not the suicidal thoughts of a man who is stuck in prison, but instead is the righteous thoughts of a man desiring to be with his Lord. Charles Spurgeon says that Paul writes this because death, he felt, would free him from all sin and from all doubts as to the state in, in the present and the future. It would be gain for him for then he would be delivered from all suffering and he would find above all his Savior and be a partaker of his glory. We as, a, as believers, we do not view death in the same way that the world views death. To the world, death is the loss of everything, the loss of all pleasures and worldly gains. It's the loss of all treasures and earthly relationships. But to those who are in Christ, death is gain. For death is the end of all weakness and misery. And it is the perfection of the believer's comforts and the accomplishment of his hopes. Death delivers believers from all the evils of life and brings them to the possession of the chief good. Matthew Henry says, those who know the value of Christ and heaven will readily acknowledge it far better to be in heaven than to be in this world, to be with Christ than to be with any creature. For in this world, we are compassed about with sin, born to trouble, born again to it. But if we come to be with Christ, farewell sin, farewell temptation, farewell sorrow and death forever. So I ask you, dear saints, is this your view of death? Do you tremble at the thought of leaving this world because of the things that you will leave behind? Do you fear no longer having the possessions that you enjoy? No longer having the relationships that you cherish? No longer having the experiences that you hold so dear? If this is the case, then I call on you to repent of your sin of idolatry. To repent of holding the things of the world in an elevated position above the excellencies of Christ and the joy that will be experienced in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. If the thought of leaving this world and entering into that blessed state and glory does not excite you, 
if it does not bring about a godly longing to be there, then you ought to question whether or not you will even enter into that blessed state. Friends, the thought of being with your Savior for all eternity ought to captivate you. It must seize your soul and motivate your actions. Understanding the blessed reality which is to come, truly realizing that to die is gain, will motivate you to bring the Gospel to those around you in order that they may experience that blessedness as well. And understanding this truth, understanding that to die is gain, will be a great encouragement to you in every trial of life. Nothing will be able to discourage you. Nothing will be able to cause you to doubt. Nothing will be able to cause you to deny the faith. Even if death is knocking at your door, you can open that door and welcome it. Welcome death as an old friend. I'm reminded of the last words of the Covenanter martyr, uh, Hugh McHale. He was to be hanged in Edinburgh for his commitment to the Reformed faith. After singing Psalm 31, he began to climb the scaffold to the gallows. And he said, I care no more to go up this ladder and over it than if I were going home to my father's house. At each step of the ladder, he would cry out, every step is a degree nearer heaven. And after he got to the top, he read from God's Word and then he addressed the crowds. And after that, the noose was placed around his neck. In his final words, in his final speech, he says, Now I leave off to speak any more to creatures and turn my speech to Thee, O Lord. Now I begin my intercourse with God, which shall never be broken. Farewell, father and mother. Farewell, friends and relations. Farewell, the world and all delights. Farewell, meat and drink. Farewell, sun, moon, and stars. Welcome, God and Father. Welcome, sweet Lord Jesus, mediator of the new covenant. Welcome, blessed Spirit of grace, God of all consolation. Welcome, glory. Welcome, eternal life. Welcome, death. And with those last words, the rope tightened around his neck and this young gospel preacher passed into the presence of his Savior. Welcome death. To die is gain. That is the Christian view of things. Departing and being with Christ is far better, brothers and sisters, to die is gain.
So how are we to understand these two statements together? Paul says that these two things must both be understood, but he also recognizes the dilemma that it causes for the believer. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself that we should all desire to simply depart from this world and go and be in the presence of our Lord. Paul wants to be with Christ, but he also wants to remain on the earth for the sake of the church. This is his dilemma. However, the outcome is in God's hands. And Paul is confident that God has further work for him to do among the Philippians. And so we see uh, this in verses 23 and 24. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so let us consider the solution to this dilemma by considering how we are to magnify Christ by looking at the apostles' determination to abide and continue. Paul had his theology right. He knew that if the Lord chose not to deliver him from his bondage, but instead to bring about his death, that it would, be, that it would mean freedom from the effects of sin and perfect blessedness in the presence of his Savior. And he also knew that as long as the Lord chose to keep him on this earth, that he had a covenantal obligation to magnify Christ in all that he does. And so knowing these two truths and seeing the need for further work among the churches, especially here in Philippi, Paul says that it is far better for him to stay. We read in verses 25 and 26, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. The purpose of abiding and continuing is so that the gospel will advance, that souls will be saved. I've heard the question asked before, why doesn't God just take Christians to heaven as soon as they are saved? While there is a righteous sentiment behind that question uh, and a desire to be freed from the world of sin and to be in glory, there is a fatal flaw to that question as well. The Lord has determined the means by which the gospel will be advanced in this world and souls will be saved from everlasting darkness. And that means is by the proclamation of the gospel by those who have experienced it and been transformed by it. We confess in larger catechism 155 that the preaching of the word is the primary means of grace. How is the Word made effectual unto salvation? 
the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace, and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Without believers on this earth to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost, there would never be any more people who come unto salvation. Consider the words of Paul in Romans chapter 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Saints, you have a great purpose in being here. You have a great need to abide and continue until the day that the Lord takes you home or the day that, he, that the skies are rent and Christ Jesus comes down to consummate the age to come, you have a duty to abide and continue so that the work of the church can continue and the Gospel can advance. Your purpose in this life is not to live your best life now. It is not to see how many possessions you can amass in your lifetime. It's not to see how successful you can be within your career. It's not to see how strong of relationships you can develop. Christ says in Matthew 6 and verses 19 to 21, which we read earlier, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Friends, you must devote yourselves to the, uh, to the Gospel, to the efforts to see the Gospel uh, advanced. You must devote yourselves to the work of the church. Get involved in whatever way that you can in the efforts to see the Gospel advance here in this place. Until the Gospel has covered the earth as the waters cover the seas, until Christ returns in all His glory, until this earth passes away and we are ushered in to that new Jerusalem, there will always be work to do. 
there will always be the need to abide and continue. Next month, we are scheduling an outreach event which will, in which we'll invite those within our community to come and enjoy games and food. But most importantly, we are inviting them to come and hear the Gospel. And so I ask you, please be involved in that. Be involved in going door to door and inviting your neighbors to come in. Be involved in being here during that community outreach event so that they can see the community of Christ here in this place. Make the things of the church a priority to you. The Gospel going forth is more important than watching some sports game or going on some trip or taking part in some activity. Devote yourselves to the cause of Christ. Take up our blue banner as your own to see the world one for Christ's crown and covenant. Friends, you must abide and continue. Brothers and sisters, nothing in this world is more important than magnifying Christ. To exalt Christ. To make known His salvation and to extend the boundaries of His kingdom must be your constant aim and your sole enjoyment. Proclaim with the Apostle, for me to live is Christ. Let your actions be a living testimony to the finished work of Christ. Let your lives reflect the salvation which He purchased with His own blood. Let everything you do proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And do not fear whatever may come your way. Do not fear the persecution that seems imminent. Do not fear the ridicule that you may experience. Do not fear even death. For to die is gain. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, magnify Christ, whether by life, or by death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we confess that we do not rightly magnify Christ in every circumstance. We do not rightly glorify His holy name as we ought. Lord, forgive us and teach us, and strengthen us, and embolden us, and empower us to magnify Christ, whether by life or by death. Let our lives be a beacon which points this lost and dying world to the Savior, the Son of Man who came to save sinners, who can redeem the lost soul. 
Let us do all things knowing that there is something far greater than this world which awaits us in glory. And that is the everlasting presence of our Savior, King Jesus. The sweet fellowship of the triune God that we will experience in all for all eternity. And let that be our blessed hope. And let us realize that to die is gain. Lord, let us live this truth. Let it not simply be a bumper sticker catchphrase that we use as Christians, but let this truly be our life's motto. To, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we ask that You would give us the ability to do this by Your Spirit who works within us to will and to work Your good pleasure. And we ask these things through the mediation of Your Son. Amen.